Hi there, and welcome to Product Storyteller. My name is Stuart Noyce, and this is my personal podcast, where I dive into stories of and about product innovation, the crucially important process that satisfies unmet need with unique value. From the origins of the internet to the future of crypto platforms, from Haas MBA classmates to Burning Man makers, I cover the ground where entrepreneurs and business leaders create new value with a wisdom that ensures our shared future. Product Storyteller explores the durable edge of free market capitalism, where people practice restraint and live in community with one another. If you love it, give it a great review and subscribe on iTunes or elsewhere to catch every interview that's coming. My awesome guest this week is Rob Benke, serial entrepreneur and extremely well-connected member of the New York City tech community. Rob brings a marketer's intuition and a relentless drive to his many projects, which now include Elementus, Token Agency, Halborn, and Nougat. I met Rob when we worked together on the Nougat team that won the EOS Global Hackathon in San Francisco last November. The value added that caught the judges' attention that weekend was decentralized and incentivized Git repos on the EOS blockchain. Nougat is incorporated now with an alpha release on the way. The concept has evolved, though, to focus more attention on emerging open-source projects that need contributors to stay strong. I'm one of the advisors and super excited about its future. Working together, I've become a friend to Rob, watching him through the lens of my own experience. In 1990, many of us were bringing value to the Internet when others couldn't see a future there. But a few years later, the world around us did begin to figure it out, and investment demand went absolutely bonkers. The recent ICO froth in crypto reminds me of the dot-com boom 20 years ago. Rob tells a story in this interview that at one point with Token Agency, he helped clients raise over $150 million during a 12-month period. And yet, what matters now is what mattered then. Companies must add value to survive. From this interview, I think you will find that Rob is one of those people who seeks that value. Let's go there now. So hi there, we're here at Node. Uh, my name is Stuart Noyce. I'm here with Rob Benke. And Rob, um, why don't you just start by introducing yourself and we'll dive right into this. Sure, hey, thanks for having me. Um, I love it here in San Francisco. I love it every time I visit. And Node's one of my favorite places to visit, so thanks for having me. Um, uh, the 30-second elevator pitch, I would say, is um, a serial entrepreneur. I've built and exited two companies prior. Um, spent a number of years in the ad tech industry as well, um, and then fell down the crypto rabbit hole in 2013, um, and you know spent a lot of time building up uh, sort of an investment strategy that turned into a marketing agency that led me to where we're at today, which is now I'm building out you know, whatever, I've lost count, but maybe my fourth or fifth company at this point. Um, and, and that's called Nougat, and I'm sure we'll get into that. But, you know, essentially we are, uh, that's, that's the, the core main project that I'm working on at this point. I have to get out of the habit of also calling it a project. We are a proper company. Um, and yeah, so that's called Nougat. Other than that, um, you know, husband and... Uh, uh, musician, I, I really that's like tends to be my passion outside of uh, technology. Um, you know, drummer, electronic musician. I try to make as much music as humanly possible. And uh, my some people enjoy yoga. Uh, my version of yoga is sitting down at a drum kit for two hours, <laughs> and uh, and then I'm zen. So it's about the same amount of exercise, isn't it? It really is. Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. So uh, I, I, that must be why uh, I get along so well with you because uh, I'm also a musician and uh, and oh, yeah. I just yeah, yeah, yeah. I just crank out a lot of uh, projects as well, entrepreneurial projects. So yeah. let's uh, let's just stay on that topic though. But before sure. we but before we dive in, I wanted to get a little profile um, sure. for the for the listeners so they can uh, understand you a little bit better. And uh, one of the first the first place I want to go is you know what. What motivates you most as an entrepreneur and in your work? I mean, is there a problem you're trying to solve? <laughs> or are you just, like, I looking think, for something that's cool? What, what's going on with yeah, you? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it certainly preferred that things are cool to, to, to certainly work on. I think what 
drives motivation is a lot. There, there are certainly positive things, but I think that there are actually negative things in this world that do actually drive motivation as well. Um, you know, I come from a lower middle income family. I grew up in like a small foreign town in New Jersey called Berlin, New Jersey. Um, you know, and growing up, going through a lot of transitions in my life of not really having much to, you know, in college actually having quite a bit from my stepfather who entered into my life um, and then who had quickly left our lives um, and then going back into that economic sort of, uh, you know, nothingness of that. Um, what drives all of this is just... It, when I say this, it just comes off so millennial of me, but I just want to do fun things that change the world and and make a living from that. Well, if you know, if you're a millennial, <laughs> yeah. you might as well embrace it. Oh, right? absolutely, That's I most certainly do. You know, you know, uh, uh, you know. I just I want to affect change in a positive way. I want to leave the earth better. Uh, when I leave it, yeah, I'm sure, sure. Into it. So what what makes you special then? What you know? What do you bring into this? Oh, that's the most millennial and American of of it all, right? Am, <laughs> am I special? I don't actually feel like I'm special. I feel like um, I'm just genuinely motivated, and I keep trying. So even though I've built and exited companies before, they weren't the most successful of exits. I've I've just I just keep going at it and keep building, keep building learning from mistakes. Um, it's the only way, certainly I've learned, it's the only way you truly learn. Um, so, and so, so I, I, yeah, I just, just this, this need, I mean, when I wake up in the morning, I just, I, I'm ready to go at it. So I don't so, know really, well, there's I've, some subconscious thing. Yeah, so no, I take away a relentlessness uh, from that, and yeah. that's okay, you know, that, that if, when we look at our superpowers, right, we kind of kind of yeah. think about, you know, what's your talent? What do you come with? Um, that's something, right? And that's something useful, for us, particularly for an entrepreneur. Um, now, when you're bringing this relentless energy to making the world better, you know, what value are you bringing then? What value enters the world? What, how do you think about yourself, you know, and the value you bring? I think, I think... In, inherently, my value within the context of the the last couple companies that I've started, um, so whether that's Nougat or Token Agency or Halborn, um, these you know at the end of the day, this is about uh, you know I'm 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 not a technical guy in the sense of development. Um, I'm not a developer, uh, but I've always. I feel brought more of a human, um, uh, you know, uh, just connectivity kind of mindset to highly technical problems, um, and so, you know, the 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 outer shell of that is I'm more marketing, biz dev, uh, product management, sales, whatever, whatever have you. Um, but I think that's actually tends to be my superpower in a room full of highly technical developers. Usually, um, but I you're but you're bringing that um, as you come in. You're typically a CEO. You're bringing in a, a, a level of understanding of the customer. I'm, I'm, that's how I'm getting a sense for it. Yeah, I like how you said that better. So yeah, yeah okay, I do. <laughs> yeah, that's why I'm the product storyteller. Yes, 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 yes. I've seen this. <laughs> anyway, um, um, yeah. so how are you getting paid today? What's what's your you know where do you get your money? Because <laughs> um, we all somehow need to make need ends to meet. Make ends meet. Yeah. Uh, well, so I have two profitable businesses that currently are running. Um, I have Token Agency, which we are a uh, crypto. Mar well, take a step back. Token Agency is a marketing and basically advisory services agency um, for primarily blockchain-centric companies. Um, and I think that special like superpower has always been, you know, stop talking about blockchain so much and just uh, really drive home the value of uh, what you're trying to solve. And so, um, so token agency still to this day, we have a couple clients, uh, that's a profitable business. Um, and then very recently, actually, about four months ago, 
uh, I founded what I would call a sister agency to it, which is a cybersecurity firm, actually. So we're called Halborn. So that's like halborn.com. And that, to my, uh, you know, it was all about finding out and figuring out what what's needed in the cryptocurrency space. And what happened is earlier this year, all of my closest friends in this space got hacked. Mm. Um, it's just left and right. And so I realized that there was definitely a need for this. It also coincided with me meeting uh, my now business partner, Stephen, who, you know, he's one of the most elite white hat ethical hackers out there. He ran the IBM Red Team um, for quite some time and, you know, just highly uh, established and distinguished. So, you know, putting my sales and biz dev hat on, I have gone out and done deals with clients, bringing in for cybersecurity needs. So whether that's pen testing, security audits, uh, making sure that their IEOs are uh, sound from a security standpoint. So there's that. And then with token agency, it's basically, uh, it's a whole lot of um, biz dev, marketing, design work. Um, we also established a you know, calling back to my sort of ad tech days, we established a DMP technology, which is a data management platform. In the programmatic ad space, it's this huge diagram of how the internet works now with ads, and it's just insanely large and antiquated. Um, but what I did was I went out and I established, a good friend of mine has a DMP technology firm. I did a deal with them where I go out and I find them crypto companies to put their JavaScript pixels onto. And so right now, Token Agency has the, I, I say this knowing that someone could have something bigger, but I doubt it. So we have the single largest uh, um, data set of GDPR compliant uh, IDs for people that are interested in cryptocurrencies. What I mean by that is, our JavaScript pixel sits on, for example, coinmarketcap.com, which is the single most uh, widely viewed website in all of cryptocurrencies. Um, so we have about 35 million unique IDs banked. And so today at this moment, um, you know, we run a couple campaigns a month. A lot of what I've just said and talked about, by the way, I've kind of become a bit of a serial delegator when it comes to those two companies. So. Uh, the company Audigent usually does the managed programmatic ad buys. Um, any of our PR design work, I have my sort of set of like tried and true freelancers that I bring in and work with them. Anything on the uh, cybersecurity side is, is done by uh, my business partner, Steven, uh, and his team. And so at the end of the day, I kind of have this biz dev hat on. Um, I create relationships. I sign and do deals, and then those deals tend to turn into fairly passive opportunities for me where I'm able to sit back and able to get reports, but I'm also able to, frankly, um, um, you know, be sort of the crypto guy in the room when it comes to a lot of this stuff and, and just sort of address the needs, making sure that campaigns are sound, making sure that the copy's right, making sure that the, uh, the brand messaging is right. So the stuff that I really like to do for token agency, for example, is uh, you know product naming, copy, making sure that we're speaking to the right person at the right time. Um, so all of these things that I just mentioned pay me every month. So that's how I make money. That's good. Yeah. No, that's good. You're at your your um, you're cranking value, and that's uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's important. Um, let's let's actually look now at one more thing before we dive into crypto, and that is, you know, of all the things that you've been working on, you know, what is the one, the one thing that you feel like is your biggest success to this point, you know, your biggest result? That's a really good question. I do really actually fondly look like. When we started Brooklyn Salsa Company when I was like 22 years old um, in, in Brooklyn, you know, the biggest result at that time was when I was leaving, we were distributed in 10,000 grocery store stores worldwide. And, you know, I was on the process of kind of leaving the company and parting ways with my business partner while, uh, 
simultaneously while we run out of money because we sold too much product, go figure. Um, and uh, while I had thought that that would be my biggest deal for a little bit, um, you know, look, uh, I think anyone that sat in the cryptocurrency world throughout 2017 and 2018 probably wishes that they timed the market right and kind of pulled the, you know, pulled a particular lever before like the big crash happened. Um, but still to this day, the biggest success I would say is with token agency. Um, you know, there was a year time, there was a 12 month time frame there that we brought on, I would say easily a dozen clients who are highly vetted. I worked with uh, the former commissioner of the CFTC on a project. Uh, I worked with one of the biggest music uh, uh, producers and agencies out there on a project and collectively we raised, um, you know, we helped these companies go out and raise like $150 million in 12 months. So I would say that's a success. Um, and then now, do you think that defines you, no. that kind of thing? Not at all? No, but well, if my clients saw, found and saw success in those moments, yes, and in part that came from things that we advised, things that we put into place, right. then I would say yes, because the only way an agency is successful is if you have testimonials from clients saying, hey, sure. these guys did us right. They, you know, they did X, Y, Z. Yeah, I'm no, certainly think... not defined by how, like a monetary value of how much is raised, because obviously that was in a moment of a bubble. Um, good, good of you to remember that, yes. because I've been in the middle of a bubble, and sometimes <laughs> I would like to define myself by the amount of money we raised in that bubble. Oh, sure. And there was, uh, the number is a lot smaller than it could have been because the, the bubble burst while we we're in the middle of it. Yeah. And, but that's You're talking about the 90s dot com yeah, bubble? Yeah, that was the oh, dot yeah. com in yeah, 2000. Yeah. And yeah. I, you know, this is you know, not the place to, to go into that. Maybe yeah, there will yeah, be yeah. another discussion where you interview me. I love that. But, yeah. um, but, this, but for me, that, that idea of what defines you is, uh, is important for, you know, for everyone to understand. And if it's, as you said, it's not the number. But it's the, you know, it's the, it usually ends up being, did you actualize someone? It, in your case, you know, your, your clients were raising money that they could then use to deliver on the dreams that they had and their vision, right? Yeah. So that's, yeah. that's important. Anyway, all right, so you talked about the crypto <laughs> rabbit hole. Let's, <laughs> sure. let's go down this crypto rabbit hole now. Uh, what sure. was your first uh, coin? What 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 was the first thing you ever oh, what got put into, into a wallet? Yeah. Um, well, I heard about Bitcoin in 2010. I remember seeing a video about it. Immediately wrote it off as a scam. I was like, this video that I saw I was just like, all right, well, this is obviously a scam, and I want nothing to do with it. <laughs> and then about three years later, I was sitting down for ramen with a friend of mine. I had just wrapped up my engagement with uh, my first company. And even though I ran an organic food company, um, I, was, I was a tech geek. I've always been a tech geek. It's just in my DNA. And I sit down and my buddy says, can you believe that Bitcoin is $50? I'm like, excuse me? He's like, Bitcoin is $50 now. I'm like, that scam is $50 now. It's ridiculous. And here's the thing. He didn't even talk to me about blockchain. He's like, do you know what a brain wallet is? It's a brain wallet. I was like, what? What is a brain wallet? And so the tech geek in me was like, you have to be kidding me. Are you serious? So um, for any listeners that aren't aware, so like basically a brain wallet is um, when you create um, a public wallet address within the Bitcoin protocol uh, or with one of the wallets, you can do, a, I believe it's a 12-word uh, phrase. Um, and if you remember those 12 words... Of course, now there's like you can do 20 word, 24 word phrases and all that. Um, if you can remember a series of 12 words, then you can hold millions, billions of dollars of value in those 12 words. So you can uh, create a wallet, send Bitcoin into it, completely, you know, annihilate uh, the hard drive, completely wipe out everything. You can do it offline, so it never touches the internet. Um, you know, and that's that's the beauty of Bitcoin, right? It's it's cryptography yeah. first and foremost, and so uh, within this cryptography, you remember twelve words, 
and you can go anywhere in the world carrying this sort of <laughs> a gold vault in your head. And that was like one of the geekiest things that I heard at that moment. I was like, okay, so that's actually what pushed me to like look into it. It wasn't anything blockchain or making money or anything like that. It was like, oh, that's a really cool little like dorky kind of thing where like I'd love to do that. And that's what set me off. And so I did some research. My, uh, my so that was was that a gut feeling you, for you? You also asked me. You, your I think your question also was what was the first coin I bought? Okay. Um, so it wasn't Bitcoin then. Well, no, it was Bitcoin. It was Bitcoin. So what I did was I went to my bank and I got a $1,500 cashier's check and I mailed it to the Ukraine to to send on to BTC-E. So I mailed, like, one of my commission checks for my sales job to this, uh, you know... To the Ukraine. Let's see if thinking this that works. I'll never see it again. I may never see this yeah, again. Yeah, exactly. It was like one of those like calculated decisions. It's like you know, like I might not see it again. But but the thing was that I was reading online in all these forums that people were doing it and they were like actually getting funded like in the exchange. So I, I it built up enough trust at that moment that I was like, okay, I'll do that. Yeah. <laughs> and immediately I saw that. So back in that moment, which was like early 2013. Um, yeah, Bitcoin was maybe $70, $100. And the only trading pairs were Bitcoin to Litecoin, um, Bitcoin to Peercoin, Namecoin, and it was really just that combination. And so, yeah, at that point, like immediately once I got Bitcoin, I immediately started uh, altcoin trading. Ah, yes. So I got yeah. some Litecoin and did all that stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, I heard plenty of stories about arbitrage in those days. Um, yeah. Did you do any of that? I did. I never did arbitrage. No, so like I've always had this mentality of more, I'm far more, like I don't want to ever professionally be a VC, but I've always had more of a VC mentality rather than a trading mentality, actually, sure. where I'd rather just like hold on to an asset and then just hold and not try to like arb and do all that stuff. My thought process is more of is, an investment, a longer term investment. Then. Exactly. My thought is, I'm not a finance guy. I'm not a developer. There are people who are much smarter that are already manipulating those markets. So I don't want to be that guy that just like yeah, hits, a wrong, hits a wrong button and all of a sudden I lose <laughs> all my money, right? But instead, what I did was I started altcoin trading, and in 2014, it's so like basically like bought a bunch of Bitcoin. Did really well with that because I was, remember I was buying like at like $50, $70, held it, was like the hero of my Thanksgiving family, you know, thing being like, hey, Bitcoin's, a, you know, $1,000 right now. Now's the time. And then, uh, you know, come Christmas time, it was worth like, I think, what, like $200. Like it had crashed at that moment. Um, so my family members weren't too happy with me at that time. I told them to hold on. Um, none of them did. They automatically sold. No, it's uh, a, it's hard to it's hard to hold on to it. You yeah, exactly. you don't understand the underlying value. Um, and it was a I think a bit more of a challenge for people to to sort of decide to make. Well, that, if you don't get it, plunge. yeah. If you, if it's just like oh, my cousin says that I should buy it and hold it, so it's yeah. obviously just like a stock like anything. Then yeah. you just don't understand what it is. Um, so shortly after that, I start investing into all these random altcoins. And at that moment, privacy coins were really big. And I kind of got into a notorious basically pump and dump in 2014. So while I was doing well, I put a lot of money into a cloak coin. Hmm. Anyone listening that ever messes, and apparently it's still around. Cloak coin is like, like they've now pumped and dumped that coin like three times on people. So it's surprising to see that it's still around. Um, but I definitely famously lost, uh, famously to me only. <laughs> I definitely, I like, I remember I put in a bunch of money, like most of my Bitcoin into it, um, woke up the next morning and it was completely gone. Like it, I had lost like 90% of value in 12 hours. That's astonishing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let's not cover that ground of pain, but. It, well, I, what it did was it taught me a very valuable lesson. Yeah, okay. Which is, hey, you know what? This whole like crypto altcoin trading investing thing 
I think I'm gonna hold off on doing that for a while. Yeah. And maybe just like invest in Bitcoin. Maybe and this like, was the, this was yeah. that sort of like yeah. defining moment for you. Yeah. Which is actually good. You we all need to in these cases get those defining moments. What I was at, what I was about to ask earlier was, did you feel like this was a, an intellectual decision to go into crypto, or what? More of a a gut feel, like you kind of knew this was going to be a good idea. Um. When I was in high school as a musician, Napster happened. All right. And Napster was, Napster opened my eyes to peer to peer technology. Napster completely upended the music industry. And as a musician, I was like, when I was in high school and I was playing drums, I was like, I'm going to be a professional drummer. Like, that's my thing. I'm going to love this. It's going to be my thing. And Napster happens, and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, it's probably like there's probably not going to be any more money like in music, or it's going to be really, really difficult, really. And um, and that proved out to be pretty accurate. Um, that the world of being a professional musician was completely upended. So I saw what peer-to-peer -peer technology did to an entire industry that I really loved and cared about. And then when I kind of realized that Bitcoin is peer-to-peer -peer technology only with cryptographic money, it, yeah, I mean, ideologically and, I don't know, like, like just in general, I realized, like, holy shit, like, this is, this is going to be huge. So in 2013, I kind of realized, like, this is going to be huge. Um, and it's money. So, like, I'm not in finance. I'm not a finance guy. It's not my thing. Um, but I kind of realized, like, oh, like, this is something that will grow in value. Um, and it's something that hits all the right points for me. Like, the punk rocker in me was like, yes, this is great, you know. But so, that, yeah. but that it, it implies that, that there's less ideological purity at stake here and more just it's a rational business decision to, to invest in Bitcoin. Is that where you are with that, or is there, or is there still some ideology? It's a, a good question. Um, I try not to die, like, I don't know, there's a lot of... You don't have anything against central banks, I guess, is what I'm, what I'm getting at. Or is that, you know, is that, like you're not railing against, uh, uh, against a world order? You know, that, I mean, I think there's, there's definitely part of that in me. There's yeah. definitely, yeah, there, there is definitely part of me that is like that. Um, but I definitely, I do not side on the anarchist side. I do not side on the libertarian side. Um, I, I side more on sort of the democratic and some of the, uh, the, the socialist styles, but definitely still more democratic, definitely still more um, capitalist at heart. Um, but the banks have been really, really bad for Americans and for the globe. Um, and, and I say that having lived through 2008 and seen like what was happening there. Um, and I just think that because no one was held accountable during moments like that and in other countries, um, you know, things could be a lot different. So like I got married in Iceland recently, actually, about two years ago. Um, and I bring up Iceland because they also had a huge financial crisis in their country. But what they did was they rounded up the bankers, they fired them, they jailed a couple of them, and 10 years after their financial crisis, their, uh, their fiat currency has drastically increased in value, substantially. Um, it's really expensive to go to Iceland right now. Like, like, <laughs> like seriously, seriously. Um, it's a really expensive country. And the reason why it's expensive is because everyone, well, not only does everyone want to visit, um, you know, everyone wants to visit, but, you know, they rounded up the bankers, figured out what happened, got to it, jailed some people, made an example of some people. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm far more uh, a believer in justice than, than anything else. So it really sucks that in America, no one was really brought to justice. And now things are happening today in 2019, 2020, that look and smell extremely similar to what was happening before 2008. So okay, I'm far so more on that side than I am like, oh, let's completely upend the banks. I'd rather just 
Well, you just need to see them being held accountable to the yeah. rule of law. Let's yeah, just say correct. That. Yeah, um, it's a pretty straightforward. Yeah, it's pretty uh, straightforward. It's pretty straightforward yeah. thing. I like uh, justice, so, so, so that's I, yeah. I'm <laughs> more on that side. Yeah, I I have the business degree, right? The MBA. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and in the MBA program mm -hmm. at Berkeley, um, we learned about capitalism. I know that may seem a little yeah. unusual to people because Berkeley, oh, yeah, I think Berkeley, of Berkeley right. as the you know th this is the socialist um, sure. education uh, arm of the socialist party but in fact cal berkeley is um, you know the cornerstone of the education system for the state of california which is as far as i can tell a pretty capitalist uh, place a lot yeah. of money is generated here and a lot of value is generated here absolutely and the issues that we learned in school were that you know if you uh if you go outside of the lines, we have antitrust regulation that mm -hmm. will take you down. If you commit felonies, you know you yep. should get held accountable for them. Right. And and this is part of what makes for a healthy business environment. So I'm with you 100%. Um, let's dive now into token agency. So sure. this uh, token agency is really, I think, um, because you talked about it as being really one of those places where you had some of your what you feel like is your greatest success, really working in the middle of that boom time mm -hmm. to bring clients um, to a place where they could raise money. So what was that origin story for you? How did you figure out to go and do that? Because you're an entrepreneur. What we know about you now is that you're an entrepreneur and you see something and you'll just jump into it. So what, what did you see? Well, <laughs> uh, so, so, so while I mostly agree with what you just said, there is part of me that... Uh, 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 I, I'm the kind of guy that also, like, I'll write down business ideas, and sometimes I'll go down tangents and rabbit holes of those business ideas. Um, I'll really study them, and then I'll ultimately decide to never go down it. So, like, in 2013, for example, I had this great idea. I created the whole business plan in 2013 for a company called NYC BTC ATMs. And so I wanted to create, you know, like, a global Bitcoin ATM network. I did all this research. I went down that whole rabbit hole. Uh, you know, had I I had several conversations with Marco Santori actually, like back in 2013 when you know when like he was accessible, <laughs> and um, and ultimately came to the decision after doing a complete financial analysis and six months of work that oh this is like no there's no way I'm going to touch this industry uh, with a ten foot pole. I still actually feel that way about ATMs, by the way, but th that's a whole other story. Um, so I have ideas. The, the thing was that in 2016, I FOMO'd by seeing what happened with Ethereum. I had heard about Ethereum in 2014. I think that a lot of people will tell you when they heard Vitalik's initial pitch uh, that a lot of people were like, that wasn't ready to be funded anyway, but it still got funding, right? It was like a really bad pitch anyway but still got funding and became what it became. Um, but what happened was in 2016, I saw, it wasn't even called an ICO at that time, but Stratus, Stratus was raising some money. Um, I think they ended up raising like 600K worth of Bitcoin. And Stratus was like a, um, you know, inevitably just a, another one of these sort of, uh, um, it really, by the way, like I really appreciate the Stratus guys. I don't know enough about, the protocol at this point to say much, but you know, a platform to launch other tokens off of at this point. Um, so they were raising money. I saw that happen. I FOMO'd on that too by not touching it. So I started learning about ICOs, um, found out the implications of those, found like, oh, all of a sudden now companies can go public or all of a sudden people can crowdfund utilizing cryptocurrencies rather than fiat currencies. And there's all these implications. So I got excited and I started investing. And so the second that I started investing into ICOs, you know, look, when you when 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 you're kind of like grinding and just to make ends meet, even still at that moment, and you put money into something and a 10x is in a month, you're like, oh, like that's kind of crazy. This is gonna, there's something here. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I mean, I immediately went from investing, I mean, look, man, I, 
think with what I started with in 2017, I had like X'd 100. And I was like, okay, well, at this point now, what happened was I was investing, investing, investing. And I kept on noticing something, which is uh, here are some highly technical teams. Well, so, all right. First of all, 98% of the companies and ICOs that I saw were absolutely scams. And if they weren't scams, they were like, they, they were going to be turned into it because the people They were the bleep had, coins. Yeah. I mean, people had good intentions, but it would have never executed, yada, yada, yada. So I vetted things pretty thoroughly and vetted sort of the merits of the people and the founding teams. So... After finding some highly technical people and some good teams that I liked, I started realizing, oh, these people are shit at marketing, but they're trying to create some really advanced things technically. So I saw a niche there, and I started approaching people. Um, I, you know, one of the companies I worked with was a company called Insurex. Um, you know, here's a group of like MIT Media Lab alum that spent 20 years in the insurance industry and were like, hey, we're going to utilize blockchain to disintermediate um, a trillion-dollar insurance resale marketplace. Great. I love that idea. I like the team. Um, but it's the same thing. It was like they are kind of shit at marketing. So I said, hey, uh, you know, let me put a little bit of money in. And also, by the way, let me help market this. Let's help work on the branding, let's help work on the strategy. And it kind of turned into investing, turned into consulting, turned into let me hire two or three people to work on this for you, turned into, you know, at the end of 2017, we had 25 people working for us. Um, that's, that's really crazy. Yeah, yeah. And it's beautiful because it's right in the middle of this, this just whirlwind of activity. It's really cool. Yeah, yeah. And now... Now we're going to turn our attention <laughs> to the reason that we met. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah shall yeah. we? I mean, we're sitting actually here at Node. Yeah. Node Worldwide, 1011 Kearney Street, San Francisco. <laughs> my favorite um, shared workspace. And uh, this is where I met uh, a young man named Nikolai, who invited me to uh, participate in a hackathon. Yeah. And uh, he was talking about decentralizing Git or whatever. I forget what he yeah. was talking about. Yep. And I said, well, yeah, sure. Let me, let me join you. Because I, I really wanted, at that point, that was a year ago. Yep. And I was, at the time, really diving back, for me, diving back into distributed and decentralized computing. This is my home, as it were, for my career. Right. And I just had, I felt like I had gone away, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I just was, I was away, as yep. they say on the East Coast. Oh, yeah. You know, he went away. Yeah. Right? And, and, I, and I, coming back into it, I was just so excited about the different things going on. I really wanted to jump right into just a project, just to see what was going on. And so uh, we all showed up on a Saturday mm -hmm. uh, yep. in San Francisco on Market Street. I yep. forget, what's the name of that place? What is that? Well, not Starfish. No, no, no. It's, a, it's the, the venue. It doesn't matter. The venue for the Global EOS Hackathon. I don't know what it was called, yeah. Yeah. So we end up, we, we show up, and here we, um, we're a team, and uh, I end up advising you guys because there, yep. we had five people, so I'm, so I'm there. Yep. yep, yep, You know, I'm not coding, right? Yep. And you're leading it. So I'm, I, I'm just there going, well, you know, lean on me for some <laughs> domain expertise, as it were. Yeah. So what was your, I mean, just... Tell me, what were you thinking about this? Why did you want to be in this EOS hackathon, right? <laughs> sure. Um, so I, I, I'm all about and firmly believe about setting intentions with everything that you do, but also, you know, um, my intentions of going into the hackathon were a couple things. First of all, with token agency still in full force at that moment, we had a couple clients that we were working with that were building on top of the EOS uh, protocol, uh, EOSIO. And my thought was, I'm living in San Francisco. I already have a couple clients building on EOS. Um, I've never, I've never done a hackathon because I'm not a developer. But uh, my friends are telling me that this particular hackathon is a bit more business focused, and. You know, you don't have to be a developer. Now I know. I didn't know. I was, you know, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and was like, oh, you know, uh, 
I'm not a developer, so I shouldn't join a hackathon. Turns out it's not the case whatsoever. And I, my intention was go in, have a good time, make some good connections, meet some VCs. Um, and the entrepreneur in me was like, ah, sure, but go build a product for 24 hours over a weekend, no problem. Uh, expectations were drastically exceeded. <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, two weeks before, I mean, two weeks before the hackathon, I show up to Starfish Mission, which is a, a great co-working space uh, for blockchain companies in San Francisco, um, because uh, one of my friends was throwing a a meetup, and that meetup was put teams together for the hackathon. So I show up to Starfish Mission. There's like ten people in the room. It's like it's it's a ghost town. <laughs> All right. Quiet. It's quiet. It's quiet. And so that's where I meet Nikolai. That's where I meet Colby. And that's where I meet Fred. So group of guys, never knew each other. I was like, hey, I'm the business, hey, I'm a business guy. Nico's like, I'm a smart contract developer. I'm like, great. Who's a front end developer? Colby's like, I can do front end. Great. Uh, and I, you know, uh, like, you know, Fred's a great designer. Great. So we kind of, yeah, we all, we all form, you know, I'm like, Stuart's a great advisor. You know, Stuart's going to be great for this as well. So we, you know, we, we Voltron together a team of five because that was the max amount of team or whatever. And then we, yeah. And then we walk into it, um, to have a good time having never met each other. Right. Um, we code, we build, we have a couple different ideas on the board because uh, we didn't know what we were walking into. A lot of, there was a lot of rumor that it might actually be gaming-centric. So we had a couple other True. game ideas. We had, we had no yeah. idea exactly what it was going to be. Yeah, so. we had a, yeah, yeah. We had a list of different right. ideas. Yeah. And then when the mission was, uh, I don't know what the exact mission was, but it was very widespread uh, in the scope. And we had written on the board, like, decentralized GitHub. And everyone was like, boom, that's the one. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, we, we worked on it. Uh, we worked on it for a couple, you know, for I would for say that I can say that uh, expectations were uh, exceeded. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I remember at some point kind of looking at, at you and saying, let's let's focus on this pitch because right because right, this yep. thing. Let me help you with with some of the messaging around yep. around this because the um, you know the the idea of an open source. I mean, really important that that we had seen such a, a shift in open source from the time that uh, we go from the Free Software Foundation, where they're really it's all you know it's very ideological. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah to uh, an enterprise um, use of, of open source based on the BSD, which becomes the BSD license, which is far more about open source as a tactic. Yep. And what's yep. interesting about this whole crypto movement and the raising of money to build open source um, you know, platforms is, is really a swinging back to yeah. this ideological purity of we're going to raise money and we're going to throw it into open source. So I said, you know, just call it open source a strategy, really. I mean, that's what this is about. Open source is not a tactic in this case. It's the strategy. Yeah. And that's, I think, what, one of the things that really, uh, you know, just kind of watching what was going on around other people, you could really get a sense that that energy, you know, was really kind of right behind us, right? And that, that power of that, of that idea, that concept, would overcome any, anything else, although... Because you had uh, some real strong coders in the room there, it got done. You know, right. there was a, there was an actual demo there. And yeah, I mean we were cool. yeah, I mean we were a very well-rounded, solid team for a hackathon, which was you know we can get a, an MVP kind of done out coded, and then properly pitched. And so like that's a those are the ingredients of a good of a good team. Yeah, so you went to South Africa as a result <laughs> for the for the worldwide you know. Um, yeah, yeah. Pitch uh, or you know worldwide competition. Um, what was that like? And did you you know what do you think went on there that you you can take away from? Well, so it was all just a total whirlwind. So basically, in from the San Francisco, so that you have the EOS San Francisco Hackathon, which happens, uh, you know, early November. We end up winning. We end up taking first place. All of a sudden, you know, we have a hundred thousand dollar 
check that was issued to us. So that was pretty crazy. Um, then they were like, hey, by the way, in three weeks, we're going to fly you all to go to South Africa and compete in this sort of more global hackathon where you're going to compete against you know, all the other winners of all the other locations. Um, and so that was like just a total whirlwind. Um, we show up at the, the Cape Town ha uh, event. And really, you know, it's very difficult to actually call that a hackathon in any traditional sense. <laughs> really what it seemed to me to be was a one-week, extremely intensive incubator accelerator to ensure that your business plan actually made like actual proper sense. Because there was very little actual proper coding that went on during that moment. And I say that for all the teams, actually. Um, uh, and so it was really just get your pitch ready to go so that it's like really refined and great, continue to refine the product, um, continue to just make sure that there's a real proper business case here, um, and make sure that it's built on top of EOSIO, you know? So that's, you know, that was kind of That thing. was certainly their motivation for oh, yeah, the so hackathon. Yeah, yeah of It course. makes sense, right? And I would say that they did a, you know, fantastic job of doing exactly that. Um, well, they did. some great they, business cases that came out of it. You yeah, know? no, it no. was really important for them as a platform right. to invest yeah. in uh, not just uh, some people hacking on it, but to see some real product or dApps or whatever you want to call it on top, running on top of this, yeah. uh, running on top of the platform. Yeah. Um, and, and the fact that it wasn't just all games was, I think, good for them, too, because they, oh, yeah. they went outside. They, they actually looked at it as an enterprise thing. Yeah. Okay, now we've made a transition since then. So it's been a year. Yeah. And it's literally a year. It's, not, it's November 1st. That was, what, November 8th, 8th. 9th or something? Yeah. yeah. So uh, what's, been, what's happened? I mean, we, there's a corporation now called Nougat. There is. Right? The, the official corporation is called Distributed Technologies, Inc., DBA, Nougat. Uh, we are a Wyoming C-Corp. Wyoming is um, the most forward-thinking state when it comes to anything cryptocurrency or blockchain-related. Uh, they passed 13 laws just this year um, that are pro, not only pro-blockchain, but pro-coder. Um, I literally testified in Wyoming last month uh, in front of the, the, the coalition because there's a law that's up um, to basically state that code is free speech. Hmm. Um, now, that being said, I'm pretty sure that's already covered in the First Amendment, but you know, there's a lot of, uh, I, I think there's a lot of stipulations there. That's its own rabbit hole that I won't go down right now. Um, but where are we at today? or what's happened since in the last year. So I would say this. Um, the same team that is going to succeed at a proper business is not the same team that's going to uh, you know, win a hackathon. So we had some transitions there. Uh, that's very normal of most hackathon teams. Uh, and we kind of rebuilt it. So um, after some team transition, uh, we basically, I, I went out and just uh, went on like this, just, look, we are building something huge here, world. We're looking for the right team. And one of our close friends in our community, um, in the EOS community, the blockchain community in San Francisco, uh, his name's Ali Ayash, and he had the first app that was on EOS. It was called Lumios. And Fred, Fred was working for him. Fred, Fred was Madrid. working for him. Yeah. Mike was working yeah. for him. He had his whole team there. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. And Ali, generous enough to let Fred and Mike work on that hackathon team. It was really, I, the, that is a generous man. Very generous man. Very smart man. Uh, very humble. Um, and unfortunately, we've lost him. Yeah, so it's a so the community took a huge hit. Um, so I, you know Ali uh, passed away recently. Um, you know, huge hit to the community, um, and and utterly tragic uh, circumstances and events. Um, and what 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 happened was as we were 
as we were trying to build out NuGet, uh, Ali was right there with us, knowing sort of what our transitions were. And at the same time that I was talking to him about, you know, hey, we're looking for a proper CTO, hey, we're looking for the right proper, you know, teammates, Ali was off lobbying his brother, Muhammad, and saying, hey, Mo, you should take blockchain a little bit more seriously. Now, look, Mo spent the last six years at Google. Um, senior software engineer, he was working on their NLP technology for AdSense, but I think right before he left, I believe, and don't quote me on this, but I do believe he spent two years working on the voice recognition technology for Google Home um, right before then. So Mo is like a very exceptionally uh, wise engineer mindset, um, a lot more conservative in ways that I'm more liberal in, this, in just the pure sort of business sense and sentimentality. And at the same time, the two brothers are talking nonstop about their businesses. Uh, right. Mo had, recent, had recently left Google to go start his own startup in the education space. Right. Um, he was seeing some traction with the education platform, um, but what happened was Ali was like, hey, there's this really cool blockchain company you should go talk to. So Mo and I end up having a conversation, and to his credit, he's like, look, sounds cool, but, right? And he goes, sounds cool, but um, he's, he I'm is, a technologist, yeah. I'm a developer. Um, this isn't, it's not what I would call a pivot, it's just a, re, it's a focusing because he said, basically, see all this decentralized GitHub stuff? No one wants that. Like maybe a thousand people in the world want that. But all of this other stuff yeah. that you're talking yeah. about around building out incentives, yeah. around building out a platform for XYZ, around building out a proper reputation system for developers. How do we make developers like the true rock stars of their community? How do we shout from the rooftops, hey, I want this feature made uh, for this open source repo. All yeah. the pieces were there. And he was just like, that's interesting to me. That's what we should focus on. And I couldn't agree more with him. Yeah. So after we had these conversations, <laughs> so having one conversation with him, I was like, okay, you want to work on that with us? Yeah. He was like, oh, hell yeah. I was like, yeah, okay. So great. I remember we were, yeah. I was actually in, not in this room at Node, but I was in the next room. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was sitting on, on one of the benches and listening to this and just really feeling the energy of, of saying, yeah, we should be looking at the, um, uh, Git, Git repos are already decentralized. Right, Git is that's, decentralized. That's the whole right, point, exactly. right? So we're talking about that, and then and all I could think of was the real issue, and I think I even mentioned this, I think the real issue here is that what isn't um, decentralized and what is under the control of now essentially Microsoft, if you're on GitHub, That's right, yeah. is your reputation as an engineer. Yep. Right? And we were all in complete agreement at that moment, I think. And that's yeah. that's why we're we're going down the path we are. And I'm very thankful that the progress that mm -hmm. the direction has been going in this in this way because I'm really confident in the eventual success of it. So what um, now we've got we've got Mo. You know, we have Fred, we have you. I'm, I'm on your advisory board, yep. which uh, I appreciate. And uh, uh, the thing that's really kind of interesting now is what comes next? When we got to have some product to work with. Well, right? we're pre-product, right? So, you know, so what we're doing is uh, it's uh, the MVP is really close to being done. Um, the API is ready. The smart contracts are pretty much written. Uh, our point system via uh, a smart contract is all set up already. Um, we're about two months away. We, we basically, we had a, 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 a hiccup with front-end development, so we're hiring a front-end developer right now. Um, and so it's November 1st, 2019. Um, I'd be shocked if we're not out by, by February because um, we just want to make the right rock star front-end developer hire. Because it's all done. Uh, Fred is the most exceptional um, product designer that I know. 
Um, yeah, he's great with brand, but he's also great with user experience, right? Correct. Defining the user correct. experience. That's why so that's a really important part of this. And that's why um, we talked about it. Um, and Fred's our chief product officer. Yeah. You know, so it, that completely that yeah. completely makes sense. Yeah. Um, so now we've got. So uh, we're going to be out soon. You're going to be yeah. out soon. Yeah. Um, so the interesting thing I think that comes next in our conversation here is, you know what. Um, what happens in this world where reputation is so important and the token, uh, or it's not a token, excuse me, the point system. <laughs> it is a right, point. We have to be careful. Yep. Be careful because we're not building a token here, but it's a point system. So what, what does that look like um, long term, this incentive system? And how do you think it's going to drive um, acceleration of both adoption and growth of the platform? Well, a couple things here. Um, so I had a rev I've had a couple revelations this week. Um, I, uh, this week, I was invited to talk at World Crypto Conference uh, in Las Vegas, as well as I just got done uh, doing, a, doing a pitch at a San Francisco Blockchain Week. Um, one of the core revelations was uh, this will actually be my last blockchain conference um, because this is so much larger than blockchain. Go figure, I've been in the blockchain industry for all these years, but go figure also, I've technically, therefore, been in the open source industry since then as well, right? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely, exactly. by definition. By definition, But, <laughs> right. but right. it's a subset. Of course, exactly right, and quite a small subset. Um, comparatively, I, I say that comparatively speaking, right? No, but, you, but you're right, so, look at the, the entire Linux um, <laughs> right, you right. Know, community. That's a yeah. very very substantial yeah. um, chunk of the world. So the reason why I say that is because um, I'm, not a, I'm, not, I'm not someone that, say, that says that things happen for a reason. I know that things are very um, uh, uh, circumstantial and you create your own luck in this life. And basically, um, I you have been You predict the future. No. Uh, well, by sure, creating sure. it yourself. What's the What's the saying? You know, yeah. luck is a mix of uh, preparation and something else. Yeah. yeah. Well, the the best way to uh, yeah. to predict the future is to create it. Yeah. And, exactly. And you know, you make your own breaks and all of that, right? But yeah. So basically, what I'm saying here is, um, I'm purposely getting out of the blockchain mentality and getting into the. Uh, open source developer mentality and persona of okay, why am I doing this? Why uh, and not me, Rob? Why am I as an open source developer compelled to code and contribute, contribute to open source? And that's where a lot of my former experiences uh, in life kind of lead are now going to lead the direction of NuGet. There are incentives that exist in the community that are uh, um, one part, there's, okay, so you have one part that's financial, which is actually quite small. The much larger part of why people contribute to open source is for altruistic reasons. They want to see this project flourish um, for any sorts of reasons. Um, so people want to, uh, I, I think, I think what's going to propel and excel the platform as well as our point system is actually not very technical whatsoever. It's actually purely psychological. Um, the psychology of I want to connect and I want to collaborate with other humans on missions that I believe in. Um, and so long as we continue to go down that rabbit hole, that's how we're going to succeed. Um, so, you know, we're going to create a point system within the platform. Uh, you know, look, uh, GitHub has a point system. Uh, Stack Overflow has a point system. In my personal opinion, how a lot of those work are, are quite flawed. Um, the Stack Overflow point system can be extremely gamed. Um, and so what we're doing is we're taking a look and saying, what are the most important actions? Uh, when you contribute to open source, what are those important actions? It's not liking or starring something. It's not like all these little minor pieces. It's, I have coded this feature. I've done my PR. But guess what? 
that PR just got merged into the actual repo. So what that means is that you just did an action that contributed to an open source foundation. All right? That moment, we're giving you points for. We're not giving you points for all these other little things and like little little things that be, can be kind of gamified. Um, granted, what I just said, there's ways to gamify as well. I, I think that uh, we, 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 we take security as well as um, sort of black hat tactics very seriously and we want to you know, do what we can to avoid those. So basically, in summary, we've built out four different personas that you can be on NuGet. Now, you can be all four of these personas at once. Those four personas are you can donate money, so you can be a pledger and donate money. Uh, you can be a developer. You can develop uh, things. <laughs> you can be a maintainer slash project owner, so you can say, hey, uh, you know, I own, I, I'm going to manage this project. Um, and then the fourth persona, which is actually the most important, is a code auditor, code reviewer, QA uh, persona. Um, from what I hear, QA is really the most boring and tedious, and you know, it's, it's very boring and tedious, right, in, in the space. So what we're going to do is we're going to give the people who QA important uh, open source repos the most points, the most uh, uh, incentives out there for doing this. Um, and why do points matter? So going back to my organic food days, actually, um, having spent seven years in the organic food industry, um, I learned a lot about farming co-ops. I learned a lot about worker co-ops. Um, and, you know, worker co-ops, it's like, um, you know, here is a group of people who are underprivileged, underpaid for the labor and work that they're doing, and here's a system to give back to those people in different ways. Um, in some ways, but not always, admittedly so, there is some similarities to that of open source developers. And so what I mean by that is you have a group of people who are underpaid, if not paid whatsoever, for contributing to a very, um, you know, open source at this point, like, there's a lot of money in it. You know, there, there actually is. There's a lot of uh, wealth being generated from open source initiatives in the way of their foundations that are, that are coming out of... There's of a lot of value in right. open source. Right. Like the, the, if you just look at from the perspective of the use of Linux and all of the JavaScript and all of the, you know, the applications that have been developed on top of libraries that are... Right, that are you know that are around yeah. the world that people are building and right. you know and just and just pushing up there and you can you can download and use that that community um, runs this uh, the the entire globe of business right basically as particularly on the back end and so you think about it you go well so now that means really large organizations are starting to um, to take a very keen look at yeah. what open source means yep. And I, the way, so we've kind of talked about this before. Um, we won't have time to go into this in detail, but perhaps we'll get into it later. Um, but there's the way that this works. When we look at some of these big projects, there's kind of two sides of it. How do they get funded, and then how, how do they get people in there, and how do they prove that people are actually getting stuff done in those projects? And there is a real, uh, really keen management challenge, mm -hmm. right? Yep. And, uh, but they have people and, and, you know, they've got teams and they're big organizations that already have management structures and they can use them to some extent um, to, to, you know, to keep working on the, the projects. They have people they can dedicate to coding, um, but uh, who, are the, who are getting paid. Mm -hmm. But what's interesting is there's, a, there's this other group out there in the world that wants to build the next really interesting thing. Yeah. And they want to do the next interesting project. And, you know, there are people who want to pay for that to happen. And so yeah. I just I just get the sense that once we we sort of break through, and I honestly, I mean, the reason we're having this conversation like this, and maybe it's a little different than some of them, some of the conversations I have, is that I am super excited about this particular platform. I'm super excited about this idea. I have been from the beginning, and uh, and I want to you know, to do what we can to make it a reality. 
Yeah. Right. Whatever yeah. it takes, because I want to put some projects on here. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. And and I want to see on those projects. I want to see documentation. I want to see QA. I want to see. Yeah. I want to see support. I want to see it be a solid project at mm -hmm. the end. And that's not just all one super rock star, you know, architect thinking it around, thinking it through. It's it's a team that puts it together, and it's a lot of people, and we need those contributions. So that's where I'm. That's where I'm really excited about about Nougat and what's coming. Hey, do do you have anything else you want to share with us before we we wrap up? We've been talking well, for about one, an hour. There was, so there was one per, one final point, uh, sort of like a the final missing piece of the puzzle um, that I did did want to say, which is um, the more points that you get on Nougat, we're going to be giving back a percentage of our proceeds back to the community based upon the number of points that you get. So that's a really important piece. Um, of the puzzle because what that enables is uh, essentially um, a global open source cooperative. Um, now the infrastructure of that is being built out um, from a regulatory standpoint. It's uh, surprisingly straightforward. And I only say that because I've, you know, the lawyers have told me so and, and the platforms that we're gonna be utilizing or allowing it to happen. Um, and in this world where a lot of open source developers don't care about the money, they're just doing it because they really want to do it, um, the beauty is that they, what, when you get more points, you can choose to either withdraw that money, obviously, and put it into your bank account, or what I don't know for a fact, but what I suspect is that you can actually reroute those funds into the open source initiative that you like. So, and we can, we're gonna enable that to be done automatically. So you can say to yourself, all right, I'm gonna do some open source work. Um, I, really like, uh, I really like Drupal. Um, so I'm gonna contribute to you know, this particular framework. Uh, I like this feature. Oh, this feature got merged. I'm getting points. And now I'm just throwing in this setting in my, in my account in NuGet that any money that comes to me in these uh, point repayments um, is going to get directly sent into the you know whichever of the Drupal libraries that you want it to happen, um, and this way it becomes a I'm not getting paid for this, but the more good I'm doing for the Drupal community, uh, the more actual money will technically be going to the Drupal community, and that I care about because that only helps it succeed more. Yeah, it's really interesting. I'm look really looking forward to to you taking us through the point incentive system um, as we get closer and, and it, you know, the details get worked out. Yeah, I'm for really sure. looking forward to that because um, no, there's some really great opportunities to, to create positive feedback loops in that mm -hmm. community. Yeah. And, uh, and so work contributed to the community then increases the value that's, that's available to the community. That's really interesting. Yeah. So, no, I mean, uh, I don't know. Final, final thought is just, uh, you know, anyone, anyone listening, check it, check, take a look at Nougat.io, which is spelt like the candy, only G-I-T. So it's N-O-U-G-I-T.io. Excellent. Well, thank you very, very much for joining me tonight. Uh, well, today, Rob, it's not tonight. Um, <laughs> no, man, but, it's, great. but it's Friday Thanks. afternoon, so you know it's time for us to to go relax for the weekend. Except that we won't be relaxing, will we? <laughs> nope. Nope. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much, Rob. Take care. Hey, thanks for having me.